Well, hello and welcome back to the Will and Rob show. It is great to be with you on this uh, fine April afternoon uh, or morning. If you're listening to it in the morning, you know, don't want to uh, don't want to exclude anybody on uh, listening times. But um, it is great to be back with you. My name is Will Stockdale. I am a ministry associate with Ministry to State, a ministry of the PCA here in Washington, D.C. that ministers to those serving in government. So thankful to do this job where we get to uh, minister and, and teach God's word to men and women working in the Hill and government organizations. I am again by myself. Robert uh, has the day off. And so I apologize. It is finals season for him, among other things. And so uh, it is just me, but I have made up for it by inviting a guest, someone that I'm very excited to have on the show, uh, someone who has been a dear friend of mine uh, in our support with Ministry State for a long time, Blake Schwarz. Uh, Blake is, uh, like I said, a friend and a man who has discipled and mentored me in a number of ways over the years. We first got to meet in Dallas while uh, working at Park City's Presbyterian Church, a PCA church in the city. Uh, Blake is currently the director of Pegasus, which is a faith and work ministry um, that seeks to equip men and women in the workplace. Uh, and then he is the president of Central Commons in Dallas. It's a really ex- exciting project uh, that he'll get to discuss with us. And recently, he has finished his doctorate of ministry as D-Men in Faith, Work, and Economics. And so uh, we're going to get to that. Um, and as you know, we like talking about discipleship on the show. So we're brought on Blake to talk about his relationship uh, with the the reformed theologian, Doug Kelly, uh, who has had an impact on Blake's life. And so Blake, thanks so much for coming on the show this afternoon. Yeah. And thank you, Will. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. Well, so um, among other things, um, you uh, finished college and then you ended up deciding to go to RTS. And I know one of the uh, men who's had a big impact on your life is Doug Kelly. And uh I've heard stories about him, not only from you, but from um, Dr. Mark McDole, who is the president of RTS Dallas. Um, but Doug Kelly is one of those legendary figures in the PCA and reform circles, who's just published his third volume of systematic theology, has has written a ton. Um, but you ended up going to seminary at RTS Charlotte, and I you lived with him, correct? Yes, um, I did, and, uh, and served as his TA for a season as well. So one of those... Uh, Systematic Theologies, I believe it was volume one, I, I did all the footnotes for, which was uh, quite a task, uh, chasing those down for somebody who does most of his, like didn't email at the time. I think he's emailing now, but at the time he wasn't emailing. So you can imagine chasing down all those footnotes. Um, but yes, that's, that's exactly right. We've been good friends for a long time. Okay. And so I would just love to, to hear what that was like living with a, a, a systematic theolo- theology professor and, and what that has taught you about uh, close community discipleship of younger and older men and women being discipled um, and, and what you saw and what you learned along the way that prepared you for ministry today. Yeah. Can I, can I go back even a step further to just the beginning of that relationship, if that's okay? We'll pull the audience um, and yeah, they're good with it. They're good. Okay, with okay good. Thanks. Well, um, you're welcome. Yeah. The, uh, so, you know, I was, at, uh, I was my senior year at Wake Forest and planning on going to seminary at the time and checked out kind of a, a series of what I would consider to be 
kind of classic academic uh, next steps coming out of a place like Wake. So uh, the the Dukes, the Princetons, et cetera. And um, the, you know, somebody told me, you need to go down to Charlotte. You need to go have dinner with this guy, Douglas Kelly. And I was like, uh, who? And, um, uh, and this friend kind of set up a dinner and I went and uh, ate uh, out of his house. It was with, uh, with Dr. Douglas Kelly and um, Dr., Dr. Howard Brown. And um, the, uh, the two of them were just, uh, I mean, utterly brilliant. And, um, but uh, towards the end of the dinner, um, Dr. Kelly said, well, I think that settles it. You're going you're gonna to move down here. You're going to, to, to be my TA and you're going to live with me. And, um, and that was like one of the more like striking things that I had ever heard in a conversation. I was like, you know, hey, is this man a prophet? Like what's going on here? Um, but I had just read uh, Marsden's biography. So this is, this is circa like spring of 2006. Um, and Marsden's uh, wrote a biography on Jonathan Edwards. And I had spent a lot of time thinking about how um, Edwards, you know, his ministry and really uh, how he got trained under his grandfather, Solomon Stoddard. I believe it's his grandfather. Might be wrong on the genealogy there. But went and basically lived with his grandfather, went, with, went and lived with Solomon Stoddard. Let's, let's not narrow down on the family relation there. And um, kind of learned ministry in the presence of this older, of this older man. And, um, and so as I like looked at like scattering to other parts of the country where I wasn't going to know anybody, um, this just seemed like the exact right thing to do, right? This is what, this is what the Lord would want um, somebody to do this exactly how you should be trained. Uh, So at that point I entered in and, uh, you know, applied to RTS, got in, uh, became uh, Dr. Kelly's TA and um, uh, moved in to the, to the Kelly house. Um, So then from there should, from there. Yeah. I want to ask a question before I forget. I think about this concept of him basically calling you. Um, Has that been something you've reflected on at all? This, this instance of someone, I think of Jesus calling his disciples. And of course, this is not a messianic salvific call, but there is something that uh, is replicated in a way in this act of choosing to, to uh, disciple someone and to intentionally um, be a part of their walk with Jesus. I think we, we do underplay or downplay this. Um, I don't know. I don't know if I, I, I would necessarily use the language calling or even blessing or, you know, I don't, I don't want to over-spiritualize these things, but there is, um, there is something providential and um, even defining when somebody sort of invites you in and, and names reality for you. Um, that begins to shape you and your understanding of yourself and your own gifting. And uh, we can all probably look back on our lives and think about a conversation we had with somebody who told us we were good at something. And we determined that like, oh, okay, that's a part of who I am. Like I'm, I'm good at pulling these people together or I'm good at studying or I'm, I'm a good athlete or whatever the, the sort of thing happens to be. 
And um, that's a large part of what, of what was happening in that moment for me. So, yeah, I, I love that. That's, you know, something that we need not only as little children, but as full grown adults too. I think of the way little kids respond to being like a little kid being told that he's strong, you know, there's like a sense of pride yes. that comes up. And so, uh, but we, we, we need that. And so, uh, yeah, that's a good word. And, and, and we need to be, and we need to be doing it for others too, mm-hmm. is the other side of that. Right. So yeah. on, on, on both sides of this, this isn't just like the minty thing. Uh, you know, I'm one of the older millennials, right? Like, I think I might be the oldest millennial. Uh, but, uh, but, but, but being on the older end of this, right. You know, I'm, I, it's important for me to define some of those things for other people. Mm. Right. And, and not just be, not just be looking for the person who's going to define it for me, but actually go in and say like, Hey, uh, to, to different people on my team, right. Like, Hey, Jenna, I see this in you and, and you were really great at this thing or, or Courtney, you're doing an excellent job over here. And, um, and help pushing, encouraging, defining. That's an important part of relationship and discipleship. And that I was, I was hugely blessed to be a recipient of. And so you, you mentioned moving in with, with the Kellys and I have heard some stories about uh, Dr. and Mrs. Kelly. And so give, give us a little bit of profile of each of them and a little bit of, and a little bit of depth on Dr. Kelly and what, what he was like as a, uh, you know, homeowner and husband. Yeah. Well, um, so, so the seminaries in Charlotte, North Carolina, they were actually renting a house in Charlotte. Um, they own, uh, an old family home. Uh, well now a different one, but at the time they owned an old family home in Dillon, South Carolina. And so, uh, it was Monday through Thursday. Uh, they were in the home in Charlotte. And uh, on the weekends, they drove down to Dillon and stayed there. And he preached at Reedy Creek, which was this uh, small uh, Presbyterian, like country Presbyterian church. Um, so you were with them. Like I, I, I was with them four days a week, sometimes five, sometimes went down to South Carolina uh, as, as, as things went on. Um, but yes, no, uh, uh, Mrs. Kelly is, uh, I mean, she's, she's British. I, I, I'm going to get some of these details wrong. Cause I didn't, I didn't think about all of them before we hopped on the call, but, um, I believe her dad was, a um, uh, worked at a college, maybe Cambridge or Oxford, uh, something like that. I mean, just brilliant family. Um, she started coming to faith by, uh, stumbling onto C.S. Lewis's text in the library. Um, so, you know, she kind of has this classic, um, you know, for like almost post-Christian upbringing, if you will, uh, just 50 years before that became normal in America. And um, uh, she always thought she was going to be a missionary to, uh, to Africa, right? And um, here comes this South Carolina boy who has a thick, thick country accent, but a photographic memory. And um, uh, they, you know, they meet. I, I don't know exactly what the courtship was like, but he wins her heart. And uh, she winds up in the Southern United States uh, doing, doing ministry, which to her, I think was probably just as far and wild as it would have been to 
moved to Africa, honestly. Um, but, um, but yeah, no, could, couldn't be more different. She, uh, you know, at least not bringing, but uh, obviously uh, I think they were, uh, she's an intellectual equal of his for sure. And don't, uh, don't, don't downplay the, both the brilliance and grace of, of Mrs. Caroline Kelly. Um, she is a Latin teacher and um, has written a number of Latin textbooks as well, or contributed to a number of Latin textbooks. But, um, but yeah, and I mean, you know, uh, Dr. Kelly is, he, he, he's got a brilliant mind and loves study and loves books. And he has this ability or had this ability to just hold multiple, uh, just mass quantities of information in, um, in his head at the same time, which, which was really good. It was also really humbling, right? To realize I, I can't do that. Um, and that's okay. Yeah. How did um, his, how did that relationship of, of a teacher, professor, you being his TA and living with him, how did that shape your seminary studies and how you approached seminary? And then as you left seminary and decided to go into a life of ministry, how did, yeah. how did uh, those components affect and make up your your eventual calling and trajectory. Yeah, well, I think, you know, uh, I mean, one of the things that shaped, so, so coming out of seminary, I ultimately ended up working at a, a classical Christian school and then on into uh, work here at the church in Dallas. Um, the, the thing that was, that was probably most striking um, being able to live with the Kellys was the classroom was just like the grammar of what I needed to learn in seminary. Right. Um, and if you take like kind of a classical order of education, like grammar, logic, rhetoric, right. It, it was just, it was just beginning to learn the language that, that I needed to know. Um, but I learned far more about all of it just outside the classroom in terms of the logic and even the rhetoric of it. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, over breakfast, you know, four days a week or so, we would, <coughs> we'd be reading the newspaper and processing what's on the front page of the Wall Street Journal with, um, you know, random theological truths that we would be discussing in class. And, uh, you know, things that, that I guess you could show in class and I wouldn't say it would be inappropriate in class, but, but you don't have time for it because there's so much material you, you, you kind of have to cover um, to, to truly be a good seminary class. Right. But, but you begin to see like, I don't, I don't know, he's, he's, his theology of the Trinity is really awesome. So, uh, and you'd see it sort of play out on the front page of the newspaper or what's going on in the world. Or we talk about, uh, how diversity increases capacity and um you know there you you'd see it play out in either agriculture or uh because he was you know very much a man or is very much a man of um kind of the south carolina farmer and you you get to like see that lived um that you just can't have in a class in the in the standard classroom setting and so that was that was really huge the other the other thing about living with him, which I, I wish I had this to the same, to the same ability is he was such a man of prayer. 
mean hours. Um, I, I I don't think I ever woke up. I, I I don't think once in the time I lived with the Kellys that I was I ever awake before him. And uh, it was it was coming out, and he you know again like doesn't really at the time didn't even like do email like had his TAs like print emails and whatever else that came to him. So we had this like stack of papers that he would just like cycle through and pray over every day. Um, and uh, that was, that was such a beautiful, just model of kind of humble daily dependence. Yeah, it was a, it was a beautiful thing to, to get to see it lived. So you just finished your doctorate, your, your demon um, mm-hmm. on faith, work and economics. And you mentioned reading the wall street journal and comparing it, uh, looking at scripture and what does scripture have to say to the paper. So reading the paper in light of the truths of, of Christianity, the truths of God's word, did that practice that um, you got to, to engage with, with him shape you and what you ended up wanting to pursue, which is the, this Pegasus style of Christian education and ethics and um, biblical truth. And then your, your work with, uh, Central Commons in Dallas, as well as your Dr. Minister. Can you trace a lot of that back to his discipleship? Yeah, I think I can trace a lot of it to this has to be applied. Like no matter, no matter how beautiful and no matter how amazing, and even no matter how much study is actually going into it, is that like, I mean, you can sit here and say like Wall Street's not Main Street, but like, like, it has to have application at Wall Street. I mean, the Wall Street Journal is not just about Wall Street, right? You know, but it's like, like, it was through like reading, again, just like almost like just the front page of the Wall Street Journal uh, sort of processing theology that got my imagination started starting to think like this. So it was, it was very important for me. Yeah, it, with that and just a very basic act, um, what would be some ways that you would encourage the church um, we're taught, let's say an, an older, I, I see, seem to me come across a lot of people who are interested and want to have an older man or woman disciple them. Uh, and there's older men and women who are, are interested in discipling younger men and women. And so my question is, what would be your advice and encouragement on how to go about developing those relationships? Well, I, so I think there's, there's actually, I mean, I do run into a fair bit of hesitancy from some of the older generation about this. Uh, they feel like they don't really know what to say or do. Um, and uh, I am sometimes cautious of the older person who's been here saying like, yes, we'll plug me up with a mentor, like a mentee. I got, I've got all this wisdom and I want to share it with them. Um, which would, what you really want is is someone who's just going to open up their life so um i would what you actually want is a is a culture of people inviting others into what they're already doing right because that's that's where i that's where i learn um from dr kelly and it was everything from hey i'm going to go on this hospital visit hop in the truck and come with me to i'm going to go preach at this church in south carolina hop in the truck and come with me or um, I'm writing this textbook, uh, work on the footnotes with me. It, 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 was, it was so much of just join me in what I'm already doing and see the way I do it. 
Well, what about people? What about when you have both people working? You know, you got two people that work at different places, and you know, um, they 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 can't get away just to go on a on an impromptu, um, yeah, meetup. So, uh, so, so I think some of that, right, um, is you know, it can happen a variety of different ways. But uh, like an older couple that might have that might be busy both. Uh, you know, working parents with with some little ones in the house, and there's a younger couples in their church, right? You know, often they'll feel like, oh, we need to get like a babysitter to go mentor this younger couple. In reality, it's probably easier and better for both parties if the older couple just invites the younger couple over for dinner into the crazy and into the bedtime routine. And just invites them into like how they're doing it all. Um, and, and I think that that functional change is huge uh, to the process because so much more is going to be learned by watching the interaction of the couple while they're preparing the meal and cleaning it up and getting the kids ready. It's, it doesn't have to be an older couple. It doesn't even have to be older. Um, as uh, as we we wrap up our time here, I have mentioned central commons and uh, um, there's a couple other things, of course. But to, to focus on one, tell 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 me and tell us what is central commons uh, and what are you excited about it and where where are you guys headed? Yeah, um, yeah. Central commons is is kind of crazy. I mean, it's really it's really a whole separate conversation that we've been having. But um, it's an idea I had for a long time. Uh, that took seven years to come together. So all you budding entrepreneurs, uh, don't worry. It might, it might take a much longer time for uh, the idea to even get any sort of traction. Um, but, you know, depending on the numbers you look at, roughly 3,700 churches have been closing their doors in the United States every year. Um, but, you know, roughly 4,000 are being planted and started. And, um, you know, most of the ones closing own real estate and most of the ones starting are having difficulty finding places to gather. And so the, the, the broader um, <clears throat> sort of umbrella nonprofit will be new church commons. Um, but, you know, where our first location is central commons. And uh, what we did is we bought uh, an old church uh, in Dallas. It's kind of on the edge. It's called West, West Highland Parks, the neighborhood. Um, second oldest church in Dallas. So, you know, in our part of the world, right, 1863 is the second oldest church. Um, in, uh, in 1891, they built in downtown Dallas. And then in the 50s, 1950, they moved uh, uh, to the Highland Park neighborhood. Um, but uh, it was a congregation that had dwindled to 28 members. They had a four-acre campus. They had a sanctuary fellowship hall and chapel. Um, and uh, they were they were just tired, and and the facility was was bogging them down. But yet it was in an amazing location, and it had so much potential for ministry. And if lost, you know, there's no way that the church could move back into that neighborhood. And so that was the the basic idea was to raise money, buy it, and um, uh, sort of rented back out to entrepreneurs kind of in the old education space. Uh, we've got four churches using the facility right now. 
um, one worshiping in Amharic, another church that's Nigerian. Uh, we've got a handful of 12 step groups renting it and a couple of like preschool daycare kind of things using some of the, some of the education space. And so that combined, uh, uh, you know, once we pay down a round of uh, a bridge loan that we're, that we're sort of processing, we will be, uh, this, this campus will operate in a break-even capacity. And I think we'll be able to do many more of them, which is pretty exciting. So. Okay. Well, Blake, thanks so much for that. Thanks for sharing. And uh, thanks for being on the Will and Rob show today. Um, thank you all for, for listening. As always, you can check out our website at ministry to state org and then you can follow Robert on Twitter at RD Hassler and you can follow me at Stockdale Will and we look forward to being back with you next week. Mm-hmm.